get scared, well, it doesn't hurt that much, but it's just irritating. That's right. And that's if right. you would puff anywhere else on it, the body... It would be okay, but not on the eye. That's, that's right. It. It's just the one place, isn't it? Sorry for saying Sorry Media presents the Purr Podcast. The best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats... Keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hello, this is Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, and this is the Per Podcast. And again, I am from beautiful Holland, uh, Utrecht, where the sun is shining outside. It is around 8 p.m., and I have another wonderful guest. I did promise you that Gert would be back, but he will be back hopefully next week or the week after because now, right now I have a special guest and that is Dr. Rick Sanchez. Hello. Hello, Rick. And uh, we're going to talk about cats only because this is the Purple Podcast. Fantastic. Uh, and we're going to talk about a very special organ, probably the most important organ in the world, Rick. I, I would agree with you. It's the eye. It is the eye. And that's a very important organ. The, the, the eye of the tiger. That's what we're going to talk about <laughs> in, this, in this podcast. Uh, and uh, so I'm always excited uh, talking about topics that I know very little about. Um, and also that I'm a little afraid of. And the eye is always an organ that I personally am a little afraid of. And I can imagine that a lot of veterinarians that are listening right now uh, have the same feeling. Uh, how, why should we not be afraid of the eye? Well, I, I, I agree with you. A lot of people seem to be afraid of the eye and uh, that puts ophthalmologists in a, in a, in a good position because it gives us, it gives us uh, more referrals and, and more patients. But at the same time, it causes a lot of frustration. And, uh, and we sh you're right, we shouldn't be afraid of the eye um, because it's not as scary as it seems. That's why I think we shouldn't be afraid of it. And I like that. I like that. I always say that of the chest. So people are always... If not afraid of cutting in the abdomen, but when they start cutting in the chest, they start, they start freaking out. Well, it's not that different. And uh, and so that's, uh, yeah, it's a good analogy. So um, cats and eyes, can you give a, <laughs> okay. We have a little distraction here because- My little, little techo is bringing her my, bed. Yes, so we get a little Annie here that wants to be part of the podcast, which is wonderful. Come here, Annie. <laughs> That's perfect. So, yeah, we just keep on going. Uh, so <laughs> I was asking you about uh, cat. First, let's let's go back. What is the difference between a cat eye and a dog eye? The uh, well, there are many differences. We always say cats are not small dogs and uh, they're a completely different species. They the eyes are very different. They have very different presentations. Um, I, I guess you can say that of anything, really, between dogs and cats, wouldn't you? Um, and um, their diseases are different as well. Mm -hmm. you know, one very common thing that we often talk about is diabetic dogs are very likely to develop cataracts. Uh, that's not something that you see commonly in cats. Uh, older cats often develop hypertension or mm -hmm. can develop hypertension and they can have a hypertensive retinopathy, choroidopathy, so a problem with the back of the eye. And that's not something that you commonly see in dogs, for instance. So there are many differences other than the obvious, you know, slit pupil versus round pupil sort of thing. 
That's a big difference. And That's I a very big difference. <laughs> That's so, very different. Yeah, so the peoples are completely different. And 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 I have never understood why that is different. Is there different muscles pulling on them? Or? They are. They're different. So the, mm. uh, the, 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 the sphincter pupillary muscle is uh, the way the muscle fibers are... Uh, sit in the eye, sit in the iris are just in a different orientation, They're completely different. And the, even the innervation of the of the of the pupil sphincter is different. And uh, well, that gives us that beautiful sort of mm. shape, you know, vertical shape in the cat and, and, and the round pupil in dogs. But something that people don't realize, mm -hmm. which is interesting and fun, I think, uh, is that big cats, so your lion, mm -hmm. your tiger, etc., they don't have slit pupils. They have round pupils just like dogs do. Oh, wow. That's interesting. That is very interesting. And the other thing is if you open up the your pupils, then they're the same, right? They're still round. That's yes. right. That's right. Yeah, so they're only in slit when, you know, when... when they're constricted. When you have constriction, yeah. That's right. So, That's right. Uh, yeah, that is so cool because I always wondered about that. So you answered a question that I've been <laughs> wondering about for a long time. And I probably should know that answer because I passed my veneer exams too. That's right. A that's long right. time that's ago. Right. So, uh, but that that's super cool. Um, so cats are not little dogs. We knew that already. And uh, let's talk a little bit about... Um, if a cat comes into your clinic, what are easy things that you can do uh, if the owner complains about the cat eye? So what, what, what would you do if, uh, if you see an a cat, for instance, if it has a little bit of you know, pus in the eye or something like that? Well, I always, I always say, and I think it goes back to answering your first question as well, when you mentioned, should we be afraid of, of eyes? And, and the answer is always no, of course, at least coming from an ophthalmologist. What I always recommend to veterinary surgeons is that they learn a little bit more about the ophthalmic exam. If you learn a little bit more about the ophthalmic exam, you're going to be able to, well, you're going to be keen yeah, to, to examine more eyes, not only that, but you're also going to be able to distinguish better the normal versus the abnormal, right? Hmm. Um, so the first thing would be spend a little bit of time doing more uh, eye examinations uh, so that you feel... So look at normal eyes. And look at normal eyes. It's super mm -hmm. important. Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely, 100%. Because you want to you be able to recognize the variations of normal. Mm. Um, in dogs, there are a lot more, I think, than, than in cats uh, because they're, they come in different shapes and sizes and colors and that mm. sort of thing. The pigmentation variation between dogs is much greater. Uh, but cats still do have differences. And before we go there, uh, so the cat comes in what is the best way to hold a cat or do you need an assistant to hold the cat when you look I at I think eyes? you need someone to hold the cat. It mm. could be the owner. If the owner is comfortable enough. I always think that less is more. Mm. That's when a good point. The eyes. Less is more. Always, 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 always. Uh, try to keep a hand in the bum, you know, in the, in, the, in the back so that they don't, you know, when they withdraw from you a little bit, mm. um, uh, you, have, you have that sort of security in the back of them so yeah. they don't want to go further. And then just a little gentle hold in the chin, that sort of thing. Obviously, if the animal is not aggressive. Yeah. Um, but less is more for sure. What's really important is to have time. Mm. You need to have time and you need to have a room that is quiet, that you can darken a little bit. And just think about when you have something in your eye really hurts. Mm. You've had something in your eye, I'm mm. sure, at some point. And somebody wants to look to help. And the first thing you do is smack their hand away from mm -hmm. your face because you don't, don't want to... Don't touch me. Don't touch me, exactly. <laughs> so that's basically what... And the reason is, 
that it really hurts or it's really bothering you or you're um, uh, anticipating pain. And animals, I always say, have the same basic instincts mm. that we have. So if you mm. can sort of extrapolate that a little bit, you would be you would be probably a little bit quieter. You would have a little bit more time. Mm. You wouldn't rush as much. And all of those things really apply very well to to the to the eye examination of a cat. And I can imagine that because you know when when people come towards my eye, I always fear away you because yeah. it, it's so sensitive. It's so sensitive. And 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 we can explain. Okay, this is an ophthalmologist that comes to me. I still don't like it. You know the the thing that I hate the most is the little puffer thing. The, yeah, that's right. The air, you know, the puff, the puff of air to measure intraocular. And pressure. you know it's coming, <laughs> and 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 you already get scared. Well, it doesn't hurt that much, but it's just irritating. That's right. And that's if right. you would puff anywhere else on it, the body, it would be okay, but not on the eye. That's, that's right. It. It's just the one place, isn't it? It is. So. Fortunately, we don't do pneumotonometry, so we don't uh-huh. measure the intraocular pressure with a puff of air. We do yeah. we do it with contact tonometers, yeah. and, and there are different types, of course, and yeah. so on and so forth. Which but, is probably not pleasant either. It's not well if you do it carefully. They shouldn't feel it because with one type you have to use an anesthetic, and with the other type there's no anesthetic mm. needed. Mm. So because it's not felt, um, and uh, but the main thing would be do an ophthalmic exam. Yeah. Feel encouraged to learn more about it, mm-hmm. even if you learn about one single technique. That you can use whatever that is um, so that you start doing more and like you said do normalize as frequently as possible to learn the normal anatomical variations and uh, that really really helps you were asking me what would you do if a, if a cat comes to you with... but before we go there oh, um, okay um, so um, you can also do courses of course yeah, uh, so if you don't feel very comfortable with your ophthalmologic exam yep. in cats, do a course specifically for cats, I would say. I would say, well, specifically for cats, if you can, mm. definitely. Mm. I think that any course for small animals should include commentaries about cats and how to do an eye exam in a cat. Um, so that should be covered in, in small animal practice courses, right? right? But if you can do a feline course, I think that's fantastic. I, I participate in a course in uh, this one's in Madrid in Spain mm. and um, it's a feline uh, course and there is a section in ophthalmology and of course there are always feline specific questions that are very important and when can I sign up for that because Madrid sounds pretty good Madrid sounds go. fantastic well right now we got to <laughs> wait a little bit with COVID but um, it is it is it is done once every two years or so Wow, and in English? And it's done, unfortunately, in Spain, the majority of courses are done in Spanish. And so oh. this one is done in Spanish, because I speak Spanish. So you Spanish. need to speak Spanish, so need to but speak it is Spanish. in Madrid, every two years, <laughs> you see Rick, and it's going to be That's fantastic. Right. And I do think that, uh, you know, you can practice, but if you don't get shown exactly, and for a lot of people, it's a long time ago. You know, you focus on things that you really are comfortable with, yeah. and eyes often are not. So if you really want to re-specialize a little bit or re-focus on the eyes then you probably should do a course before absolutely you... absolutely and and the, you know what i always say i say to people the funny thing is everybody has a shimmer to your test in the practice mm-hmm. everybody has fluorescein in the practice yes everybody has a little bit of saline and most people have a handheld ophthalmoscope yes so you actually have most of what you need to do mm. a thorough, a pretty thorough, without it being maybe a you know specialist exam, but a pretty thorough ophthalmic exam. And the funny thing is that most people pr- 
probably know how to do the Chevrotier test and probably know how to do fluorescing fairly well, although mm-hmm. you'd be surprised how, how much we forget eh, after mm-hmm. we leave vet school. But most everybody has no idea how to use a handheld ophthalmoscope. And mm. if you ask someone, what are the numbers for in your ophthalmoscope? Mm-hmm. Most people wouldn't know. Okay, we're going there right now. So what's the best way to do a shimmer tear test, according to you? Well, funny enough, uh, funny enough, I thought we might end up in there. The shimmer tear test uh, in cats is not that reliable. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, the if you compare the different tier measurement tests that we have, they're no, they're also not very comparable, so they don't translate. And the reason is cats can have a little bit of an erratic reading sometimes. Mm. But to answer your question, don't poke the eye with a strip as you come into the eye. You know, as you as you go into place, as you as you as you land a strip in the edge of the eyelid, in the lower lateral eyelid, try not to poke the eye. So that eh, that's Good important. Um, and uh, always avoid, and this is really important in cats actually, avoid the uh, situation where the third eyelid goes up and the strip stops making contact with the cornea. In other words, the strip must make contact with the cornea. Cats are very good at elevating the third eyelid and they um, stop very effectively the strip from making contact with the cornea. So the cornea or the eyeball? Because the, so the cornea, cornea is really sensitive, isn't it? Well, the cornea is very sensitive, but the majority of the the majority of the cornea is on show. When so when I'm, when I'm, a cat is opening its eyelid, mm-hmm. you can most of what you see is cornea. You see very little of the white oh, of the eye. In humans, yeah. you see a lot of the white mm. of the eye. In dogs, it depends a little bit if you're mm. a cephalic or not. That makes sense, right? right? So in cats, you're always going to be very easily in contact with the cornea, and of course, they feel that the yeah. eye tears in response to it. Mm-hmm. But if you do it well, it shouldn't be terribly uncomfortable. Mm. It should be well tolerated. But the third eyelid goes up and stops. That contact, that very okay. important contact, which is part of the test. So away from the, eyelid, the third eyelid, don't get it in contact. And, then... and a very good trick mm. is to knock a little bit on the table or to, to do a little bit of noise or a little clap or yeah. something like that. And that increases that sympathetic tone. Ah, and the third eyelid goes down a little bit. That is a good idea. It's a, wow. it's a, it's a, it's a tip. That's right. It's there a tip go. that <laughs> works very well. The only thing you got to be careful with cats yeah. is that they don't jump off the table if you yes. make a very loud yes. noise. That's yes. the only Just thing. a little bit. Just not, a little not bit. Not too much. Just not too much. And I don't think in the exam room we have these beautiful wooden tables that we have here. But that's that's a different story. But just but a little well. metal knock is fine. It doesn't matter the material. It's just you do it. Um, so then we go back to the fluorescein. Is there any tips or tricks that we should talk about? I, yeah, there are a couple of tricks that and, and tips that we should mention. One of them is, um, tr- I like the the strips of fluorescein. That's the first thing to say. Mm, so you no all, drops. Well, you can use drops as well if you want. The problem with drops is if if, the, if you don't use it frequently enough, then that bottle is going to become old very quickly, and you're going to end up wasting it and throwing it away. Mm. The strips stay good for a very long time, and they're dry. You can uh, moisten. You should moisten them with uh, saline, and then allow a drop to fall onto the eye. Mm. If you want to contact the strip to the eye, which you probably shouldn't do, mm-hmm. so long as it's moist, that droplet can contact the white of the eye, mm. and that's okay. But you should not touch the strip to the cornea because mm. it can leave a mark on the cornea. Oh, really? Yeah, it can leave wow. a little mark on the cornea, and it's just it just. And that's it. what you want to test. So and that's what you want to test. Suddenly you see a mark on the cornea, which and is you're th- th- it's confusing. Yes, that's right. And it's the and the, the other. Atrogenic. 
Exactly, it would be iatrogenic. And the other thing would be that you always want to flush, and people are afraid sometimes to do this, but you want to flush all of the fluorescein with saline out of the eye. Yes. You cannot wash away an ulcer. In other words, the uptake of stain on the cornea mm -hmm. from an ulcer is mm -hmm. not going to wash away no, no matter how much you flush. No. So that's okay. And what you what you don't want to have is all this fluorescein sitting on the surface of the eye that can impede, you know, your your read. You know how well you can read. The, oh, the so results. it's more for reading, but it's not that it's dangerous for the eye. No, it's not. No, not dangerous. So you just at all. flush it out really well. In fact, in humans, they leave it on the eye. Have you ever had it done? No. They leave it on the eye for like for ages, and it drips mm. out. I remember once mm. going to the ophthalmologist; it was dripping down my face, and they just left it there. I had to. I and then you wipe go it off. to yeah. the disco, <laughs> and you have these that's tears right. that are stains in there. Yeah, no. that's right. And then the last thing to say is that you should use a blue, a cobalt blue filter. Yes. To look at it yes. because it excites fluorescein, which is why you use fluorescein yes. so that you can see the pattern of uptake of stain on this or, or lack thereof on the surface of the eye. So you can't use your wood slam. You could use your wood slam, but it's not really a cobalt blue filter. Mm. You're shining UV light into the eye, which mm. is not ideal. Oh. If you if you have nothing else, then then be it, be quick, and then mm -hmm. and then at least you can see yeah. that. Otherwise, your handheld ophthalmoscope might have that blue filter. Oh, yeah. So that's the next thing we're going to talk about. But before we go there, you also don't want, when you have crusty eyes and that sort of things, you don't want to flush out the eye before you do the Schirmer-Tier test. Eh? Precisely. So when you do a Schirmer-Tier test, you should not be touching the eyes too much. You should be basically don't do anything that can alter the tear film or the tear reading. So don't use lights. Don't touch the eyelid or eyelid edge too much or at all. Um, and uh, the first thing you should do is the Schirmer tear test. Makes a lot of sense. So that's great. So now we're going to talk about the most important instrument that everybody has, but hardly anybody knows how to use. The handheld ophthalmoscope. Exactly. Indeed. So just like any instrument, it depends on what you bought, you know, what, how much money you spend, you're going to have either, you know, more buttons or less buttons. Let's mm. put it that way. But the majority of ophthalmoscopes will have a wheel with settings in them, mm. yeah, with numbers. And number zero is what we call the neutral setting, yeah. which is how we start always. Yeah. Can I make a confession? Yes, of course. So I always buy stuff and I forget to look at the instructions. So then I have something that's really complicated and there's lots of buttons <laughs> on it, like this microphone that I have here, and I have no <laughs> idea what the buttons do. So I am as guilty as all well, my as everybody else. listeners. Exactly. So don't feel bad, but now we're going to explain how to use it. So we have a zero, yes. So we have a zero, and, uh, and that is what we call the neutral setting. And um, so if you're not looking through the instrument, obviously you don't need to worry about the setting because the settings for the user and it affects what you see, how you see it, right? So only when you're looking through the instrument do you need to worry about the number. Otherwise it makes no difference. So when you are looking through the instrument, there's a couple of ways of, of utilizing it. You can use it from a distance. Mm -hmm. So you put it against your eyebrow, you look through the instrument to the animal at, a, at an arm's length. If you do that at an arm's length, we call that distant direct ophthalmoscopy. Mm -hmm. And what you're looking for is the tapetal reflection. So the, the tapetum is going to shine, and you might have to move around a little bit so you can shine the, the light in the right angle, and then boom, you see that tapetal reflection, which 
fills up the pupil with mm -hmm. light, right? Mm -hmm. And what that's doing is pretty cool, actually. It's retroilluminating the eye. So it's giving you light from inside, mm -hmm. coming out, and it's illuminating all the ocular structures from behind. So if you do not have a cataract, for instance, you will see a complete full pupil that's golden or bright green in the case of a cat. But the pupil needs to be dilated. It doesn't need to be dilated right. at all. It can be semi-constricted. Oh, wow. If you don't use a lot of light and the pupil does not constrict too much yeah. and you're in a dark room, mm -hmm. you'd be surprised how much that pupil can dilate, although you're using a little bit of light. Yeah, and here another confession. I always tell my ophthalmologist that I don't want my eyes dilated because I can't drive home. So he does oh. that exam always. In the with, dark. Yeah. With low levels yeah, of light. Exactly. And you same dilate thing. beautifully. And that's exactly. yeah, yeah. Very good. Got it. So so we can do the same thing. We don't have to dilate. And then you, you see how bright that eye is, and you also see how well light transmits through the ocular media. All mm -hmm. right. And you use zero for that. But you can only use zero if your eyes are perfect. So if you have perfect vision, which means you're not wearing glasses, you might be wearing contact lenses, that's okay. Mm -hmm. Or you have 20-20 vision. Mm. The moment you need glasses like me, mm. and I have, say, minus two in one eye and minus 1.5 in the other, mm -hmm. what I then do is, because you cannot wear your glasses because it puts the instrument really far away from your eye, what you got to do is you use the settings in the instrument instead of at zero, at minus two. That is so logical. There's no minus 1.5, so I have to choose either minus one or minus two or whatever setting mm -hmm. my instrument has, and they're all slightly different. So I use minus two is what I do, and that, that becomes my neutral setting, my zero. And that's how you look at the eye. You look at the eye from a distance to see how, how bright that tapetum is, and if you have a, for instance, this is a really nice tip. If you have a nuclear sclerosis, which is an aging change of the lens, mm -hmm. and the pupil looks gray, mm -hmm. and you do this distant direct ophthalmoscopy, and you see a, a bright, shiny pupil completely full of light, that is nuclear sclerosis. is 100% not a cataract. Mm. Wow. And that's how you tell cataract apart from nuclear sclerosis really easily using wow. that. That's a good tip. So then you obviously also use it close to the eye. You can also use it close, and we call that close uh, direct ophthalmoscopy. Um, and what you do is basically you, you I like to say you dive into the pupil. So basically you've seen the pupil from a distance, and then you just approach it very, very close mm -hmm. up until the point that the fundus is visible. Yeah? So you should be able to, to see the optic nerve, retinal vasculature, tapetum, and non-tapetal area. I remember that. I love that view. And with that view, which is pretty cool, um, you're still using your neutral setting, mm. right? And whatever it might be, it might be zero if you got a perfect mm -hmm. eye in the tropic eye or you're wearing contact lenses to correct for whatever defect you have, or you um, have used the instrument settings to correct for that defect like yeah. I do. Um, and that is really important to look at the to look at the fundus, especially in cats that are ten years or older, because they could develop a hypertension. Mm -hmm. And um, ophthalmologists normally recommend animals, uh, cats that are ten years or older, to always have at least once a year an eye exam. So for younger cats, diseases that you think about as infectious diseases, Most trauma, that sort of things, yeah. all the cats. Then you go hypertension, yeah, hypertension causing very early on in the disease process, uh, potentially hypertensive retinopathy, choroidopathy, 
that sort of thing. This has been so cool. You know, I, I've listened to this and, you know, I, I'm I'm not an ophthalmologist. Like I said, I do some reconstructive surgery around the eye, but that's it. And I try to avoid the eyes uh, with a passion. But this has been really, really good. And we are going to talk in our next episode, which is either next week or the week after, depending on how I throw uh, these interviews, um, about the diseases of the eye. And we'll go into that a little bit more. But you know, this has been so cool. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. I hope that wasn't. Uh, I hope it wasn't too in too much detail or too. It was very intense, but I loved uh, it. So <laughs> that, that's that's really nice. So this is Dr. Okay. Rick Sanchez. And where do you practice, uh, Rick? I practice in the STU, which is the Specialist Dental Clinic in Utrecht mm -hmm. in the Netherlands. Um, it's a part of an Anacura clinic. Mm -hmm. And you're a specialist in ophthalmology. I'm a specialist in ophthalmology, diplomat in ophthalmology. Yes. And 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 you have this slight accent. So where are you from? Where did you do your studies? I did I did my studies in the U.S. Ah, part of my see? family is uh, is American. I'm I'm Spanish born. Yes. <laughs> and um, yeah. So do you ever give? Lectures in the U.S. when no, when I never things have. go back. No, I do a so lot of lectures. If in you want to have a great lecturer, <laughs> this is the plug. Uh, you know, send me a message uh, on social media. This is the per podcast, and uh, my name is Dr. Yola Kerpstein. Thank you, Rick, for a wonderful interview. Thank you so much. If you're listening right now and you want to learn more about Rick, uh, send me a. Uh, I am on at per podcast, any social media platform, or go to perpodcast.net where you can find more information. And if you like the show, of course, you can give us a five star rating and you'll be so happy. Hopefully, next time Dr. Susan will be back. Uh, this is Dr. Yola Kirpin signing off, and we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs. And you can follow her on social media with the handle at Cat Pet Susan. Dr. Yola Kerpenstein is a diplomate of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at GBETSX. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kerpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page, at per podcast. 